on. Turn to somebody and smile at them. Not creepy. Just smile and let them know you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord. turn to uh, your text tonight if you have your Bibles. Amen. Text is Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 22. But before, you can go ahead and turn there, but we're going to, as we have done, as we've been reviewing, uh, we've been going through a series uh, on what uh, you're going to read here in just a moment is what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And so we've been doing this series for a number of weeks. And tonight is the last of those lessons uh, regarding the fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, when we're learning, especially things like a series, uh, I like to do reviews. I like to do just a quick reminder of what we have learned. And what the evidence is, is actually that uh, whenever we do these reviews, uh, more and more I see that you've, you've grasped some of the main concepts and and principles from the scripture uh, and so it is good so let's let's do that tonight because this is the final lesson in this series on the fruit of the spirit so when we talk about the fruit of the spirit where does it all begin with submission there is no fruitfulness without submission right uh, when we started our talk uh, about the the fruit of the spirit and we've read each week uh, our secondary text, which is in John. Uh, but we understand that Jesus uh, likens us to branches, branches that must stay attached to the vine. He said he's the vine, his father's the husbandman, and we are the branches. And so branches, it's their job to bear fruit. And if they do not bear fruit, what did Jesus say would happen? It would be cut off and cast into the fire. So we must be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we started our discussion. The first of those fruit is the fruit of love. Amen. Anybody remember what that Greek word in the Bible is for love that we've been talking about? Agape love. And agape uh, carries two, uh, two primary definitions. What is the first? unconditional love we love that that word we love that that idea and it is true unconditional love but to be unconditional love it also must be what decided it must be a choice when somebody hurts you you choose to continue to love them and show them love and when we say it's unconditional the choice is in spite of conditions. That is what unconditional means. So unconditional and decided love. So it doesn't change with our circumstances or our feelings. Somebody say praise God. It is a conscious decision to love and so we bear that characteristic of the fruit because we have freely received so we must freely give. Uh, we understand that fruit 
is not for the branches to consume. It sounds like a very, like we shouldn't even have to say something like that, but, but we oftentimes, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we want those fruit. We want to receive those things. But when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the purpose and design is for us to give it, for us to share it. That's the purpose. And so uh, we bear the fruit from that which we have received, we freely give. We talked about joy, joy that the Scripture calls unspeakable and full of glory. It's a joy that uh, we understand that as we abide in Him, we receive joy for it's in His presence, the psalmist said, that there is fullness of joy. He wants his joy to remain in us so that our joy would be full. Uh, joy begets joy. And joy begets joy and joy begets joy. Uh, we talked about the fruit of peace. We pray for peace, peace in our lives, our homes, our marriages, our families, our church, our city, our nation, our world. And specifically we're told in scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to continue to pray for peace, for peace is constantly under attack. It really, really is. It is constantly under attack. Uh, and some, uh, you know, we, we, we know, everybody knows of somebody who, who is either struggling with oppressions, depressions, uh, anxieties, fears, panics, and whatever. We all know somebody, and so we pray for peace peace, peace from, from God. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. He is called the Prince of Peace. Amen. And so peace becomes evidence in our lives that God is indeed working in us. Because if, you, if, if you're living in the same world I'm living in, you're watching the same news I get to watch, there is absolutely no reason for peace in our world, at least in our minds, with what's going on in the world. But with the help of God and God working in us, we can have peace. Amen. And we can share that with others. We talked about long-suffering. Long-suffering. What is the purpose? What does long-suffering do or accomplish? Okay. <laughs> she's, she's thinking and speaking in Spanish. <laughs> that's un <laughs> poquito, muy. Uh, it, long suffering, long suffering is accomplishes opportunity. It gives us opportunity when God, when we say that the Scripture shows us that God is long-suffering to usward, the purpose of that is to give opportunity to repent, to change, to turn around, to be different. When we are long-suffering with our kids, praise God, our parents were long-suffering with us. Otherwise, it, it, that generation would have just stopped. <laughs> Amen. But they were long-suffering, and so we lived to die another day. Praise God. And so our children do the same. Why? Because long-suffering gives opportunity to grow, to change, to develop, to be different. Amen. Praise God. And so God gives us long-suffering. Uh, we talked about gentleness. That is 
uh, humility or and meekness together. David had every reason to be able to boast. He was a man after God's own heart. God had chosen him, but he realized that it was the gentleness or the humility that God gave to him that made him great. He recognized that. And so we are also admonished to be kind, good, or gentle to one another. We talked about the characteristic of goodness. Christians are to prove, to cleave, to do, to work, to follow after, to be zealous of, to imitate and overcome evil with goodness. How many is good? None but God. Not one but God. The Lord is good to who? To everybody, to all. Praise God. Uh, we must choose like, like Mary. We must choose that good part because Martha chose to do all the work and do all the activities, but Jesus said uh, Mary chose that which was the good part. Uh, we're admonished to abhor or hate evil and cleave to that which is good. The scripture shows us that the good tree is identified by what? Good fruit. Right. Amen. Uh, so we then move from uh, goodness. We then talked about faith. Amen. And faith, we must grow in faith. We find our purpose in faith. We strive together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, the Bible tells us that the just live. How? By faith. And when we look at faith, to, to if we are evidencing faith in our lives, it reveals itself in that word that we also call faithfulness. Faithfulness. Amen. We talked about meekness. Anybody remember what meekness is? I, I think you might have said it over here. But you were really quiet. My wife said it, controlled power. Controlled power. And so... Uh, we, we likened that to that of, of oxen who are under a yoke. Much power is there, but it is under control. It's directed. And so that is what the child of God must do when, we are, uh, when the Lord is working in us, is we don't just lash out. We don't take uh, the, the power that we have, whether it be knowledge or skill or talent or whatever, and we don't just... just uh, use that to do whatever we want to, but, but meekness brings that power under control, especially when we're talking about the power of God in us. Amen. It's controlled power. Praise God. Uh, from there, we talked about um, uh, that of temperance. Anybody remember temperance? Temperance is that what is called self-control. We love that. Self-control or discipline. Amen. It helps us to speak with reason and truth. It helps us. Uh, temperance distinguishes those who are leaders. Temperance leads us to godliness and to holiness. Temperance is what will help us to pass on a heritage to younger generations temperance because we have uh, exercised self-control God does not take your will away from you he does not uh, have you on strings as a puppet God allows us the will and the opportunity to choose 
and to walk in our own actions. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we finish this series. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. All right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let's go over to the book of John, chapter 15. This is our secondary text. John chapter 15 and verse number 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Praise God. And so, uh, I've said this multiple times, is I love how Jesus, just in those five verses, takes us from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. Uh, And so, as we grow in him and as we abide in him, uh, we, we continue that development and growth that we receive from Him and we also give from what we have received. Amen. Now, we have made our way through this series and basically it spanned about 10 weeks. Uh, we've discussed a number of subjects that are powerful, life-changing in and of themselves, but together they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's this grouping of this fruit that must be or become evident in the life of every Christian. I hope you heard that. These things must become evident in the life of every Christian. I'm just going to keep keep going for now. Uh, and so this is not just a nice topic or, or a subject that we simply just want to discuss to take time. No, this is a topic that has less meaning for, doesn't it doesn't have less meaning for us today than it did back in the day of Paul. It carries as much or more significance for us today in the world we live in, in the time that we're living in. This is not a topic that is to be taken lightly. Uh, Much like in the scripture, the the, uh, speaking in tongues as the evidence of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, we don't seek to speak in tongues, but rather we seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so also is the fruit of the Spirit. We're not seeking to have the fruit to accomplish these things on or by ourselves, but rather we seek to have a right relationship with God, to have His Spirit working in and through our lives, because these are the things that come from what Jesus is doing inside of us, and it becomes the evidence of that work to the world. And so as we wrap up this, this series... 
I wanted to make sure that we finish it properly. Uh, and each of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, we discussed uh, how Jesus is the vine. We discussed our responsibility is to abide in Him as the branches. We talked about our need to bear the fruit for others to partake of. But Paul did not stop writing after he finished the list of the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't just stop writing uh, when he finished uh, with temperance. No. He made a few more very key statements that help us to bear and share the evidence of the Spirit of God working in our lives. Amen. What was the next statement that Paul made after he listed the last of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit? No, no, not, not, not that far yet. Right after he finished and said temperance. Against such there is no law. Now the fruit that you bear is the evidence of Christ in you. You remember what the scripture tells us that, that Jesus uh, came to do? To not, not just to seek and to save that which was lost, but the will of the Father, yes. But what else? Something, what? He came to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. And it's through him, amen, that we become free from the law and the penalty of the law. The law, the, the Bible tells us, Paul said it, that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That was the purpose of the law. And so when Jesus came, he fulfilled its purpose. And so uh, we're going to talk about that for just a few moments, uh, and we'll continue on uh, through those next few statements. So the, the law uh, can bear no charge for those who are free from the law. What does that mean? Let's turn to Scripture. Let's read what, what Paul wrote to the young preacher, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 8. And when you think about our legal system today, uh, it, this will carry a little bit more weight as well. If you obey the law, are you, are you, are you punished by the law? I see some, some, some bewildered looks. If you obey the law, do you receive punishment from the law? No. Who's the law for? Those who would disobey the law. Let's read that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good. Anybody, anybody glad that there's speed limits on the road? Otherwise, there'd be some crazy drivers. I would be one of them. So be glad that pastor's not flying down the road. Amen. So he says that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. That's, that's pretty profound. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man. Do you hear this? The law is not made for the righteous man, but for the 
lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of father, murderers of mothers, murder, uh, or for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, that means liars, a uh, different form. Uh, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, those are the things that the law is created for. It provides the guidelines of how to live righteously. Well, the, I, I, I think I understand the question, but the, the Scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, so what the law did is it gave the boundaries, much like in the Old Testament when uh, Moses was uh, going up to the mountain to talk with God, and he said, you need to keep everybody away from the mountain. Don't let anybody touch the mountain." Well, where does the mountain begin? What's the, what's, the, what's the specific point that the mountain begins? Well, I don't know that anybody, any of us, can point to a specific point that the mountain begins. So what did they do? They, they had to, to create some, just a little bit of buffer, I'm sure, to make sure. And so it just kind of created the guideline. That's the reason why we have fences on our properties. Right? Because we, we, we want to know where the guidelines are, where our, our property line ends, so that we don't step onto somebody else's property and trespass. And that's what's happening, is the law provides boundaries. And as long as we, we stay within the boundaries, we don't suffer any punishment for the law. But it's because of sin that the law was created. God knowing that unfortunately we would continue in our sin, we would continue in our fleshly desires and wants. And so in order to, to provide the way of escape for us, the law simply was pointing, leading, directing, guiding to the place when Jesus himself, God in flesh, would pay the price for our sin. Amen. Amen. So the law is not for the righteous. The law is for the lawless and the disobedient, etc. Amen. Now let me take you to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For therein, he's talking about the gospel, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Listen to these next couple of verses. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against whom? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because... That which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it to them. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he starts off by talking about the gospel. The gospel, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is power for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's in that gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed in that good news. But the wrath of God, he says, is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because it should be revealed in them this gospel, this good news. It should be revealed in every person who is living today. Amen. Why? Because even without this book, he says, that the invisible things of him being God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. We can see the power of God simply by his creation. And it is man who has messed it up with our intentions, with our philosophies and vain deceits, thinking that we are so smart in ourselves that we can figure out how, how this creation came to being without God. Amen. And so, you are the creation of God. He's saying that you, you should be able to look. God's uh, uh, power should be manifest in you. You should be able to see His glory in your life. Amen. Now, it's the law that condemns and convicts the guilty. I don't know of a law, I could be wrong, but for the most part, if, I'll, I'll make that statement, for the most part, the law tells you what you can't do. Am I right? Is everybody about the same legal scholar as I am? Good. The law pretty much limits you to what you can't do. You can do everything else except this and this and this and this. So the law restricts, the law, if you break it, condemns and convicts and provides penalty. See, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because the next statement after Paul said the last of those characteristics being temperance, he says, against such there is no law. That if these things are evident in our lives, that no matter the law in the scripture, we're within it. We're walking in righteousness. We're walking in godliness and in holiness. If these things are evident in our lives by the power of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 8 verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. And if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus 
He came to set us free. We were bound in our sin. We were subject to the penalties of the law because of sin. But he came to fulfill the law and pay the price and take the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is what? But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God. You had a question? I'm going to, I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to address that right now. Uh, I, I think I understand the question, uh, but we, we, we have to make sure that we, we not, we don't worry about uh, whether it's, whether we're Pentecostal or any other denomination. Those are just titles that we take upon ourselves really to try and identify similarities. But the reality is, is that we must go by the Scripture. Whatever, whatever denomination, uh, there, there are people who, who are uh, believing and living the same as we, who are under different denominational titles. But are, are they condemned because they're, they're under a different title? No. If they're living by the Scripture, fulfilling what the Word of God says, that's what matters. So, so, so we've got to be very careful not to, uh, to, to put ourselves in those boxes uh, of those, those things. So now Paul continued after, after talking about that against such there is no law. He continued on and said, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So that is an extremely key statement. They that are Christ. In order for this to be qualified, he, he gives that, that qualification that they that are Christ. And we, we find that in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, the scripture tells us, Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. She has purchased with his own blood. Praise God. We're told by Paul to abide in the same calling where we are called. We're told to stay in that place. God, who has called us into his church, who has brought us, uh, uh, we understand in John chapter 1. I love John chapter 1. 
But in John, the, the chapter 1 tells us that those who, who received Christ, he gave them power to become the sons of God. So, are we worried about being called Pentecostals or whatever? I want to be a Christian. A true Christian. Not just one that, that I take upon the title upon myself, but I live a different way. No, I want to be a Christian. First and foremost. Amen. But in that, that context that Paul tells us to abide in the same calling... Uh, he tells us in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 7, he says that you are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. So you are not your own, folks. And in that context, he talks about being a servant, but as a servant, you are a free man. You can come and go as you please. But a servant of Christ will continue to abide in the household of his master. And some of you are wrestling right now with that, that, that uh, paradox. Being a servant and still being free. It's who do you choose to serve? You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the world. If you serve the world, you are under the bondage of the world and subject to the law of God and the penalty that comes with it. But if you choose to serve Christ, you are free from the, that bondage. You are free from the penalty of sin because you are walking in the righteousness and godliness of the Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me go to go-to very popular scripture among Pentecostals especially. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now you are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Praise God. Amen. We are not our own. So they that are Christ. The scripture tells us that uh, if we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. If we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. So we must, amen, uh, identify and be identified with him. They that are Christ. So they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. This is where it starts to get real. If we want to abide in the vine, as we've talked about, if we want to allow receive the things of God that he wants to give us, and if we want to bear the fruit evident to the world around us and the people around us, then we must crucify the flesh. Galatians chapter 2, verse, ni verse 19. Paul, he says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. How does he do this? Verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. 
Now you would think that being crucified means that you're dead. Well, in one fashion you're right. The flesh, the desires of our flesh, they're dead. They're nailed to the cross. But he says, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he's recognizing that it's not according to his own power or ability, but simply because he is crucified. He's laid down the old way of living. The choices that are according to this flesh and according to this world so that Christ can be revealed in him. Amen. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm looking to cut some things out. Amen. Let me read this. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. If we are dead with, with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died once unto sin, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Amen. Being dead is free from sin. Praise God. You ever see a you ever see a dead man in a casket? Well, they're, <laughs> they're, they're no longer turning their heads to look at something they should. They're no longer going places they shouldn't go and doing things that they shouldn't do. Why? Because they're dead. Well, that's what our old man should be. Our old man should be dead just like that. Amen. And so we become in this fashion. If we are dead with Christ, crucified with him, we become a living gospel. We identify with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We identify with him. And so we get to identify and partake of the gospel, not just by watching, but by experience. Isn't that awesome? Amen. All right. So Paul continued. He said, If they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts, and then he says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, when we're talking about the fruit, what's, what are we calling it again? What does Paul call it? No, not a trick question. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So that, that just by the name, just by the title that he gives it, tells us that it's not earthly fruit that we go grab and pick off a tree. It is spiritual fruit. And so what that means is, is that we must become more spiritual and more spiritually minded. 
Folks, I will tell you right now, in the, all the years that I've been a pastor, uh, what am I looking at, 13 years now? About 13 years being a pastor and been in ministry since I was 16-ish, so that's a long time ago. Um, this statement carries so much significance because the struggle that we have with our flesh is that we don't want to be more spiritual. We want to continue to be entertained. We want to continue to be distracted. We want to continue to relax and take our ease and be at comfort and do the things that we want to do. But if we are to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, we must become more spiritual and more spiritually minded. The enemy is not fighting you according to the flesh. He's not coming at you with a sword or a spear. He's not coming at you with anything of this, of this earth. He is fighting you spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. So, this being spiritual fruit, we must I, uh, identify that if we're going to bear spiritual fruit, we must be spiritual minded and live in the spirit. So let's talk about living in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Paul says that you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. Now, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, as I've already quoted, He is none of His. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. And Paul says it again. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, that means kill, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. places you used to go, the things you used to do, the way you used to live, the way you used to think, the things you used to say, those all have to be gone. Yes, the Lord is looking to change you. Amen. First Corinthians 6, 19, and I'm almost done. Paul says, what? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God? You're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. 
Wow. Could we possibly think about taking the temple into places that are ungodly? Or doing things to the temple that are ungodly? Folks, I know we're not perfect. I know we're still struggling. We're trying to make it. We've got choices to make. And we do it, make those choices either according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Either I want to be more like Christ or I want to continue to appease my flesh. Amen. So if we live in the Spirit, then we must also walk in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Praise God. That means that we have, uh, there's another way to put it. The scripture tells us that we're grafted into the vine. Anybody know what that means, being grafted into the vine? Sewn in. I've seen some videos where where they, they take a slice out of a, out of a tree or a plant and, and you, can, you can attach a branch from another tree or plant and, and put it in that place and, and tie it all up and, and so it, it receives the nutrients and everything. And you can have what I think some, some places now you can get by one tree that has like three different fruits. That's crazy. You can get oranges, lemons and limes, whatever, off the same tree because they've grafted it in. And that's what he's done for us. Is we, we were not originally, because of sin, able to be a part of the vine. But he's grafted us in by his spirit. Folks, that is awesome. When we go back to Galatians chapter 5, just a few verses before our text. In verse 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's the flesh that lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary the one to the other, so that you can't do the things that you would. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And it all just comes and gets tied into this fruit of the Spirit. If we're bearing that fruit, that means we're abiding in the vine. If we're abiding in the vine, that means that we're living and walking in the Spirit. And we don't have to worry about the law and the penalty that comes with the law because Jesus already paid it. He already paid it. Isn't that amazing? I thank God for it. Would you stick with me tonight? I go back to where our secondary text is in John chapter 15, but we're going we're gonna to go to verse number 6. We kept reading uh, verses 1 through 5, but we're going to jump to verse number 6. 
Jesus says, If any man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse number 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. I love that. I absolutely love that. When we bear the fruit of the Spirit, because we're abiding in Him, He in us, the fruit that we bear, again, it's not designed for you. It's designed for other people. Designed for the world around you. And when that is received by people around you, from those in the grocery store to the customers that you serve that are not so friendly, to the people that cut you off on the road, that are driving like there is no speed limit, when you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit to them, Jesus said, this is how my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And this also is the evidence that you are my disciples. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for the word of the Lord tonight? Aren't you thankful for the instruction that God gives us? It's so powerful, but yet so simple. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Pray that God would just continue to help to uh, exhibit this fruit. Lord, we love you tonight. We're so thankful, God, for such great mercy and grace and love that you give to us. Thank you, God, for your word, your spirit that you provide into our lives to help us, Lord, to grow and to develop, not just in mature maturity of our own selves, but, God, that you help us, Lord, to give glory and bring glory to you, that you help us, Lord, to produce uh, much fruit to the world around us, Lord. God, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, and the temperance are all purposed, God, for the world around us, that they can see you in us. Lord, we simply want to be your disciples. We simply want to be those who bring glory to you. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us, guide us, Lord, by your Spirit, Help us to live and to walk in your spirit. I pray and give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Greet one another in the name of the Lord.